This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Guys, you ever wish that in the middle of a conversation that you had a lifeline? Oh, most definitely. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. The good news this week, we have the Attorney General of the State of Vermont, Charity Clark, who's going to be our lifeline when it comes to the scams we all face. And with that, welcome to What the Hack, a true cybercrime podcast. I'm Adam Levin. I'm Bo Friedlander. And I'm Travis Taylor. Welcome to our show, Attorney General Charity Clark from Vermont. Thanks for having me. It's really exciting to be here with you today. General Clark, how would you like us to address you during this podcast? You can call me Charity. Excellent. You were an attorney at a private firm, you know, a big firm in New York. What led you to pivot to public service? I worked in the same building where the Attorney General's office is uh, today because I worked in the governor's office in Vermont. So my career really started out as a public servant. I made my way to law school and then private practice, including a, a stint in New York City. And then I made my, my way back to the pavilion office building. And I, in fact, when I arrived for my interview, my first job back at the attorney general's office, I ran into the same custodian who was there when I was in the governor's office. And he was like, hey, Charity, you've changed a lot. And I was like, what? <laughs> Hold on. But that was almost 10 years ago now. And I'm it's been awesome. Charity, I remember when you were in New York City, that's how we met. We lived in the same neighborhood. We had a mutual friend. When you came back, was the janitor reacting to that? Had you just become a big city person? No, because I was like 10 years older. Oh. <laughs> now, did you go back specifically to pursue the attorney general's slot or did you go back to practice law in Vermont? So I went back because I was seven months pregnant I wanted my child to grow up in Vermont because it's the best place on earth. So I packed up my skis and my suitcases, rented a car, and I drove back to Vermont in a snowstorm. I didn't have a job. I decided that I was going to buy my own maternity leave. And then when my daughter was five months old, I called the attorney general's office and I got a job there. So I remember when you were floating the idea of running for attorney general. How was that campaign in Vermont? How did it go? It was pretty wild. That was the summer of 2022. Vermont is a very liberal place. So the real elections in Vermont generally are the primaries. The primary in Vermont is like the second Tuesday in August. I found out there was going to be an open seat when my then boss, the attorney general, announced he wasn't going to run again in early May. So I had to my job, launch my campaign, let Vermonters know who I was and what I was about, convince them to vote for me, and raise a ton of money to do that all before August 9th. So it was the wildest summer of my life. Sometimes I still dream about it because it was such a whirlwind. When you only have like two and a half months to win a statewide election, you can't plan everything out perfectly. You have to roll in and do your best. And that's not a comfort spot for attorneys. We like to be prepared and we like to have vetted everything. Adam's nodding. 
It was truly a whirlwind, but it was also really fun. Uh, one of the reasons why it was fun is because there were so many people running for office. There were a ton of open seats. So everywhere I went, I would run into other people who I, you know, we're all friends in Vermont because we all know each other. So it was really, really fun. Like we would march in a parade and it would be like marching in a parade with all your friends. And we had a ball. All right. So Charity, we talk a lot about scams on this show and we know you're a fellow traveler with us. Uh, That's <laughs> so true. You're a scam fighter and we appreciate that. In fact, you just published a list of the top scams to watch out for in Vermont. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the top scams that you've seen? I want to preface this by saying I could literally talk to you all day about scams. I feel passionately about scams. One of the reasons is because we know that education is the best means of fighting scams. So people hear me talking a lot about scams and it's because I'm trying to tell people about them. Scammers are largely overseas. We cannot track them down. We can't shut them down. Our best tool is educating each other about scams. The number one scam we encountered at our consumer assistance program in Vermont was the tech support scam. We got twice as many complaints about that scam than number two. So it is by far the hottest scam right now. And one of the reasons why is because it's very effective. So that scam looks like this. You're on your computer, minding your own business, when a pop-up comes up. And it says, hey, you love a virus, click here. And either it's a phishing scam, and then they're gonna try to get a bunch of information from you that they can then steal to your identity with. They say, I can help you with your virus. Let me remotely access your computer. And once you allow someone to access your computer remotely, they can find your bookmarks, your bank accounts, your email, all of it, like chilling tales from consumers who called our office saying they watched helplessly as the money was getting drained from their accounts and transferred to a scammer's account. And we've also heard a tale of someone tried to click out of the pop-up and the scammer hid the, the link that you would click on to allow them to access your computer remotely under the X. So when I get one of those pop-ups, I turn my computer off, even if it's probably like legitimate most of the time. When I have a problem with my computer, I drive it to Best Buy. I never even allow Best Buy to remotely access my computer because I hear these chilling tales, people losing hundreds of thousands of dollars this way. How many cases of the tech support scam have you seen? Last year, it was 531 reports of the tech support scam. And that's just within Vermont. Yes. And that's just reported. Wow. We had a person within the past few years who lost about $600,000 in the tech support scam. That was the largest one that year. So it really sticks with my head. And it was a sophisticated person. And it was crypto that they lost. We see a lot of crypto in the top 10 scams when we calculate the magnitude of loss. It's hard it's because though there's no consumer protection with cryptocurrencies. We recently did a program uh, with a woman named Marjorie, a former government attorney, who fell victim to a tech support scam. Supposedly, another member of the team was affiliated with the bank that she banked at and asked if there was any way that she noticed fraudulent activity occurring on her accounts. She had received an email, which she never did. 
they basically convinced her to allow them to open a Coinbase account in her name and that it would be much more secure while they were sorting out the fraud if she could move her assets over to cryptocurrency. She ended up moving over $660,000, including her retirement accounts. Now, thankfully, this person was a former federal employee, an attorney who had been involved in many different legal situations. So she did know how to navigate it. And she also happened to have the funds to pay an attorney to help her. And she came out relatively whole, minus the amount of money she had to spend on legal fees to rectify the situation. Tech support scams are shockingly effective. If they hack into the right person, they're getting a lot, maybe millions of dollars. So what else do you have on your list that maybe our, our listeners aren't aware of? I I have my, I call it my Cherry Park red flag formula of what a scam is. It's when someone you don't know is trying to convince you to give them money urgently. And there's this sense of um, emotion. So in that case, the emotion is concern. And that's part of why it's so effective. It's like, oh my gosh, I have a computer virus. I don't know anything about computers. And so you're all worried. You're not thinking, you're feeling. So you see that all the time with scams. People are worried, they're concerned. Or the fake package scam, you know, when someone's, as a phishing scam, they they say like, oh, you're getting a package. You're excited. You're like, whoa, someone mailed me something or "I, I ordered something and I forgot. So those emotions, that's like the first starting point with an effective scam. It's your, in your emotion. So we have a variety of scams, but they're all very familiar to me, except there's one new scam on our top 10 list this year. It's the rewards credit scam. We're hearing about this. It comes via email from a supposedly legitimate retailer saying, great news, you've got rewards credit. Then it's a phishing scam. Click here and fill out this information so that we can get you your rewards credit. But there's no rewards credit. It's not really that major retailer. We got a lot of reports on that scam, 132 reports, when our largest was 531, but that's a lot. So wanted to flag that because I think that might be an up and coming scam and it's on the rise. And what do you think they're after in that scam? I think they're, they want your social security number and your address, your name, the things that they could use to open up a bank account, credit card, and steal money that way. Which is why we always say freeze your credit, because yes. even if they do have your social security number, it's going to stop a lot of problems from happening. Yep. As attorney general, what is it exactly that you do about scams? I would say that our real focus when it comes to scams is our consumer assistance program. And every state has essentially a consumer assistance program. But in Vermont, it's located at our university. The people who are operating phones and answering emails are students who take a class called Consumer Law in Action. And we have other consumer classes that we teach. I've taught these classes before at UVM. And we train them to be little consumer lieutenants going out in the world, knowing all about consumer law and rights. They also are helping people with their consumer concerns. Many of those concerns are not scams. It's legitimate companies who did something wrong. There was a miscommunication. You didn't get what you were expecting. We call those complaints. Then there's the scam reports. We are using the scam reports to educate people, like I just did telling you about the the new rewards credit scam. But also, we uh, have a team in place at the Consumer Assistance Program who focuses on robocall scams. 
I'd love to tell you a little bit about our robocall team. Robocall scams, just like most scams, occur overseas and you feel kind of helpless. How do you go after them? We figured out a way. We have gone after the telephone carrier who's located here in the United States who facilitates the scam. Because of our friends in the federal government during the social security scam, they operated with us as a team and they did what's called a, um, a trace back, where you trace back the number um, and if you have, you know, within 24 hours, you can see where the number came from. So we have now settled with a few companies. One of them just went out of business after we settled. We also have some investigations going with those companies, some of the worst actors that we see. The way that we can tell it's a scam, the quantity of calls that are less than a minute. And then we do on our investigation and learn more. That's kind of our first clue. Their scams are so prevalent, but it feels good to be doing something and to be addressing the, the harm that we know is there and saying we don't have a tolerance for you directing scam robocalls into Vermont. So Bo and Adam, you guys know I'm a bit of a uh, privacy geek, if you will. Oh yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah, totally. I, I really just don't like the idea that just about anyone can find you online, can find out where you live or your email address, or your phone number or anything. I just think that entire idea is super creepy. There's so much of my data already out there, but is there something that you can do? Yeah, actually, you can use Delete Me. Delete Me is a service that pretty much does the heavy lifting for you, where they go to all the data brokers that they have on file and uh, just pull your data and delete it on a regular basis. I use it. I like it. And they make it quick, easy, and safe to remove your personal data online. Well, yeah, with these data brokers, they can accumulate huge amounts of your personally identifiable information. And if all that information gets into the hands of a bad actor, that opens you up to a lot of risk. And if you act now, you can get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and use promo code WTH. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and enter promo code WTH at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash WTH, promo code WTH, which stands for What the Hack. And we thank you for supporting Delete Me and What the Hack. Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rope Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rope's got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. So Charity, we talk a lot on this show about facial recognition and the issues with facial recognition technology. And the Vermont Attorney General's office is taking on a lot of privacy issues associated with facial recognition. Tell us about that. I feel strongly about this issue. There's two areas 
to think about. One is legislation that I'm advocating for, and I'm hopeful we'll get across the finish line during the current legislative session in Vermont. The second is a lawsuit that we have filed against a company you probably are familiar with if you're interested in facial recognition, which is called Clearview AI. Clearview AI is a startup company. They screen scraped the internet for photographs. They use an algorithm to create a facial recognition system that can identify people. They now have amassed tens of billions of photographs and apparently are trying to face map everybody on Earth. We view this as a violation of uh, privacy and have sued through the unfairness prong of the Vermont Consumer Protection Act. We sued in March of 2020. During that time, the pictures in the Clearview database have just grown and grown. And one of the things I want to emphasize is someone listening to this might be thinking, you put your profile picture on your Facebook page and it's public. But that's not all. Their, their algorithm does not discriminate and say, oh, this was a Facebook profile. It literally just looks for pictures. So if I am sitting on a bench in a park eating a sandwich, my imagination is like a sloppy egg salad sandwich and I look ridiculous sitting on this park bench and I'm in the back of a tourist's photo. I don't know my photo is being taken and yet it's being screen scraped in Clearview's database. I have no idea it's there. I think I'm having a sweet moment with my family, having a picnic or something. And the other thing about it, that they're making money off of my face and I'm not getting a cut of that money. That bugs me too. The whole thing bugs me. Now, when I think about uh, what Clearview AI is doing, I, I have different issues with it. Even my Facebook profile picture. When I posted it, I did not read the privacy policy that Meta, then Facebook, published about the use of my photograph. Um, I was squeamish about seeing it pop up in Google searches. We live in a wild west of digital commerce and that is based on our data. And that is deeply problematic, not only because I agree with you, I should get a cut. If you're going to use my picture to bolster a database, you better give me some money for it. But the other thing is privacy and the expectation of privacy. And that's the strongest constitutional way to go after these companies. But the second one is intellectual property, because the photograph's mine. That's my photograph. I have, in theory, the copyright to that photograph. So how about that? How about just sending them a big bill? Can you do that, Charity? <laughs> I'll file an amicus brief in your case, though. <laughs> Thanks. I want at least ten bucks. Oh. And you yeah, and that's... you can refer you can refer to the NIL program for the NCAA. Yeah, I was thinking name, image, and likeness, and it's yeah. sort of you know. So there, it, it does come down to that. There's another program that we learned about through Kashmir Hill, the one where you could input a picture of yourself and see how many times it pops up. Yeah, that one was uh, pretty spooky. I think that was Pim Eyes. Correct. And you know what? The funny thing is, I put you on Pim Eyes, and I put Travis on Pim Eyes, I put me on Pim Eyes, everyone. And some of it's dumb, right? Because I live with somebody who has their picture all over the place. And when it popped up, it was like, yeah, that's this person, whatever. With you, same thing. It was just like how many times you've been on TV or whatever. With me, it was a little more concerning. Um, and with Travis, it was deeply concerning because Travis is not, I'm like, I've been in and out of public this or that, but Travis hasn't. And so it was, he was all over the place. I could figure out who he was. I don't know why. I think I may have just been insulted, but okay. <laughs> no, no, on. no. <laughs> it got you. It didn't get you very well, but it, I found you on there. What does the attorney general of the state of Vermont think about that? I, I am disturbed by this. 
And I would just say, you know, in Vermont, privacy is part of our ethos here. About 100 years ago, Vermont was given the opportunity to pave our green mountains for tourism. And town meetings across the state were like, no, thank you. We're not going to spoil our beautiful green mountains. And maybe 50 years after that, we were um, probably the first state, I don't know if we're the only state, to ban billboards because our beauty is not for sale. Our communities are not for sale and our privacy should not be for sale. It's, that's just kind of where we are in Vermont. So I feel like you asked me for my opinion. I think the important thing is my opinion is just reflecting a Vermont value, which is we all deserve our privacy and we deserve to control how our faces use. It really bugs me that someone would be making off of my data or my face because it feels very exploitative and unfair. Yeah. And also just, you know, from the state that brought you the floating bridge of Brookfield, <laughs> <laughs> I went to Mount Mansfield to the top of it because of oh, you. It's a picture so from beautiful. Up there and it looked it's cool. majestic. I'm obsessed with Mount Mansfield. It's so beautiful and majestic. 707 Now, a consumer group is calling on California to take action against the company for its facial recognition technology. The nonprofit consumer watchdog sent letters to State Attorney General Rob Bonta and the California Privacy Protection Agency. Watchdog accuses the Clearview company of creating an artificial intelligence facial recognition software that violates privacy laws. Concerns include mining personal data of children and inaccurate facial recognition of African Americans. Clearview promotes its technology as high quality algorithms that are accurate and help law enforcement rapidly. What's the upshot of your case against Clearview? We are in, in motions practice right now and trial is set for later this year. I believe very strongly that our Consumer Protection Act protects Vermonters against this. I think it's important that we advocate in the legislature for changes to our laws that will expand and address some of these changing technologies in a way that's maybe more specific than the Consumer Protection Act. And it also is important to raise awareness about these issues. I don't think a lot of people realize how much their data is being collected I don't think they know what a data broker is. I don't think they realize when they get a free app on their phone, it's not free. They're trading their data for it. All of that, I think, is something that we should be continuing to talk about so people can realize what's happening and what the potential impacts are, because the potential impacts are really disturbing as well. Not only is it your data, there could be a data breach and now your data is in the hands of a bad actor. Um, but we also there's a history of outcomes that are discriminatory for facial recognition software, some of which are incredibly disturbing. People getting arrested for being mistaken for another person that they like, very plainly are not. So it is really disturbing. And, and as you know, as a woman, the potential misuse of this kind of technology for women who are experiencing domestic violence or intimate partner violence and so forth um, also are very disturbing to me. Well, just to start off, I agree with you completely about the privacy concerns here, but just to play devil's advocate, are there actually legitimate uses for Clearview technology? Um, well, the the use that is the most compelling is the use that they can use this facial recognition software to find criminal actors. Like anything in a public policy, we need to find out where the right balance is. You know, should all of us have our privacy sacrificed so that it takes less time to find a criminal actor. I 
don't think we've really had an opportunity to have that robust conversation because uh, Clearview started acting before really investigating what the outcomes might be. And in fact, when they started, they weren't focused on law enforcement. They were focused on billionaire uh, potential investors they were trying to convince to invest in their startup. And they weren't focused on the, the public good. They were focused on their bottom line. They realized they better just focus on the, the convincing thing. But when you look around the country at the lawsuits against them, it's really disturbing. It's actually so fascinating, too. When you think about other countries' experience with privacy and how they're responding to things like this, this threat, it's really fascinating to think about their history and their context, like in Germany, in Europe, and how they're approaching this compared to our country. It's almost like people are being naive and they're not as worked up as they as they could be because they don't have the historical context that they have in, in other places. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works, not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing and I need to make split second financial decisions. And that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks and I trade options and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. Charity, I know that Vermont is moving forward, and you've been a big advocate of more stringent privacy regulation in the state. There are a number of states that have fairly strict privacy laws, California being the strictest, which is modeled after the GDPR in Europe. But what I worry about is we have this patchwork of privacy laws in this country where ultimately would it be better if there were a federal law? Of course, the only issue with the federal law is it tends to get so watered down by the time it shows up. Bingo. Bingo. That is the problem. If California's laws could be national, that would be wonderful. You know, the beauty of federalism is every state has our own philosophy and ethos and it allows for that diversity to have this federalist system that we have. So yes, there's some good to having a patchwork, but I don't think the industry, the privacy advocates, people think it's better to have this patchwork. It's very cumbersome for all, but it does allow for that diversity of viewpoint. And so I want to acknowledge that the bigger problem is our Congress struggles to pass legislation. It's not just that it's watered down and it never happens. That is, I think, a larger problem. I would never say to any state legislature, don't worry, Congress will take care of this. No, you should act if you care about something. So honestly, that's a bigger problem. Well, we know that Congress can't agree on the day of the week. And a few <laughs> years ago, I was in Washington and I said to them, where are we on privacy? And the response was, we'll get some activity on security, but nobody can seem to agree what privacy is here in Congress. Mm. So that's pretty disturbing. One thing I've heard you mention before is data minimization. Can you explain what that is? Well, the idea of data minimization is 
It begins with an acknowledgement that data breaches are very common. We have a Data Breach Notification Act in Vermont that's been in place for 16 years, and the notifications come to my office. Little Vermont, with our 640,000 people, we get a data breach notification pretty much every day. It's challenging to protect yourself from a data breach. So acknowledging that, doesn't it make sense to minimize the data that you have? So if there is a data breach, there's no harm to done. Data minimization is a best practice to protect our data from potential data breaches. And that means you should only collect data you need. You should only use it for the purpose you were collecting it for, of course. And you should only store it as long as you need it for. When I fill out forms for my daughter's school and they ask me for her social security number, I just leave that blank. And I think they're going to have to beg me for it. Why do they need her social security number? So I don't give data when people ask me. When I like log on to the American Girl doll website to buy a Christmas present and they ask me for my birthday to make sure I'm a grown up, I just make up a date. And I always make sure I say I'm younger than I am. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't give data over. And then sometimes I'll get an email on some random day that's not my birthday. Happy birthday, Charity. Would you like to? There's a sale on the American Girl doll. Anyway, so data minimization is it's basically that philosophy. It was codified in California a few years ago. And I'd love Vermont to, to do the same. I think that it helps us all if we are acknowledging that best practice, putting it in law, and then following it. When you go to the office of a professional, in particular doctors and dentists, they'll all ask you for your social security number. We don't give it. Well, I say, I say you don't need it. And they say, we do. And I say, no, no, no. You need it to find me if I don't pay my bill. And there's other ways to find me. So you have to be Clark Kent when it comes to these digital entities that want your information. Put the glasses on, put the suit on, hide the cape. It's none of their business who you are. They don't need to know. We've heard a lot of stories um, of people's identities being used against them. Everything from deep fakes to sextortion. People feel scared and people feel like there's no way to protect themselves. Oh, I mean, this is something that I have been really concerned about. Sextortion, yes. But in general, there could be so many ways that this could be damaging for non-consensual pornography in that sphere, but also in a commercial sphere as well. People don't, people, in my opinion, there's been a lot of focus on use of deep fakes in a political context for misinformation, election tampering, stuff like that. But I'd love to touch on the commercial impacts. I am concerned about the potential impact that deep fakes are going to have on the marketplace. Remember when we were younger and you bought and sold things on the phone? Someone would call you and try to sell you something, and then robocalls came along with their scams. And now no one even answers the phone. The impact that robocalls had on scam robocalls had on buying and selling on the phone was devastating. But can you imagine if the use of deep fakes, like this recently, the New York Times reporting that the Taylor Swift deep fake trying to, it was a phishing scam, right? On Le Crusade cookware. Did you read that? Or a month or two ago, Tom Hanks had to issue a statement saying, hey, this dental company is using my image to make a deep fake to try to sell their dental product. That's not me. I didn't consent to this. I'm not promoting this product. Imagine if stuff like that keeps happening and there is this sense of distrust among consumers about buying things online. Imagine if scam deep fake technology had a destabilizing impact 
on the buying and selling of things on the internet. So I think we should be, you know, throwing down the red flag to say this needs to be addressed because the impacts are potentially devastating. What does an attorney general do to to pump the brakes on this kind of behavior? Is it lawsuit-based? What is it? Well, I would say it's, it's two things. One is um, we, at least in Vermont, we work really closely with our wonderful legislature. And in part, that's because they are a part-time citizen legislature. So they are there four days a week from January to May, maybe June. And they don't have a staff of their own. So it's just them. They share like a bunch of lawyers and each committee has a legal assistant. They don't have their own team. They don't have a chief of staff. They don't have a policy director. They have no one. It's just them. So we often will be called in to testify or weigh in on bills, have a lot of subject matter expertise. So we kind of support them in that way. The other is trying to pursue action against bad actors. Scammers are very hard to find. But there's a lot between a scammer and a legitimate company. We uh, have a consumer unit with lawyers who pursue actions against bad actors, largely using the Consumer Protection Act, which forbids unfair and deceptive acts in commerce. And that is a main focus of our consumer unit and a tool that we have to fight this. There's one other thing that disturbs me when you talk about deep fakes, and that is a competitor can destroy another company by simply creating a deep fake of the CEO of that company making some outrageous statement that could cause real harm. And and I, how do you how do you fight that? I mean, it's not even just having a destabilizing impact on like the marketplace. It could literally have a destabilizing impact on the stock market for a reason like you just articulated and what guardrails are in place because the Consumer Protection Act is all it's a great law and we use it all the time but it doesn't have those very clear guidelines thankfully President Biden has put in place his executive order relating to AI that is going to hopefully do work in this arena and he's also called on Congress to take steps in this arena but I don't think any state legislature should wait we should all be educating ourselves and acting so that we're following the best practices we're talking about uh, the visual deep fakes but there's also audio deep fakes which i find concerning in a way they're easier because it's just a voice not a voice and a face and it seems like they're so easy to make now that it's really disturbing Listen, I know we've taken an enormous amount of your time. We deeply appreciate the time you've spent with us. Charity, any final thoughts before you go? You guys probably already talked about this, but I want to talk about gift cards because gift cards are a very common tool that scammers use. I'm not talking about an L.L. Bean gift certificate. I'm talking about those cards you get at the supermarket that are like Visa. But if someone is asking you for a gift card, it's a scam. A payment via gift card is absolutely a scam. Gift cards are for gifts. That's our motto. Your listeners probably know that already, but you have it there if it's useful to you because I think it is really important. It's such a common way that people lose money. Again, we cannot thank you enough for this. This was great. We'll be looking out for all the great things that you're going to continue to do in Vermont. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. This has truly been really fun. I love talking about this stuff with... uh, Um, people who are so knowledgeable about it. It's fun. 
Great. And run for general, uh, for governor, please, so that we can get you into the White House. Please. Uh, please. Oh, gosh. I'm not leaving Vermont. It's too nice here. <laughs> See you later. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, Charity. Thanks again. so much. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Okay, guys. That was phenomenal. Now it's time for the tinfoil swan. Our paranoid takeaway to keep you safe on and offline. Okay. Peter Thiel, not my favorite person. I can't believe I just said that. Now I'm a dead man. Clearview AI is certainly creepy technology. I mean, it does have its legitimate uses, but the thought of having your likeness be indexed and cataloged, just it opens up a whole lot of cans of worms. Privacy worms? Okay, guys, you're both grossing me out, but let's just call them privacy concerns. I like privacy worms. Regardless, I think we should come up for some tips for foiling Clearview AI and other facial recognition systems. What do you got? Well, you could cover your face with a burka or a balaclava, can't you? No. Remember Bertillion? So Bertillion was this French guy who was an inspector or something who figured out how to catalog criminals, and it was all just measurements, like the length of your elbow to your wrist and the distance between your eyes. And these facial recognition things work the same way. So if your eyes are visible and your mouth is visible, they may still be able to get you. Strictly speaking, we're sort of covering two different questions here. One is how to foil facial recognition systems in person, and the other is how not to show up in Clearview's database. All right, so I'm still thinking of this like traffic cameras. Like, can't you just like put a glue a leaf to your license plate? Yeah, I mean, for instance, there's some really weird makeup you can put on your face that can throw off uh, like your phone's facial recognition. But when it comes to systems like Clearview, it's another matter entirely. Like, they are very good at picking things up. And if you're not trying to raise suspicion, cubist makeup and beads isn't the way to go. I agree. What else you got, Travis? Well, there are sunglasses that block infrared cameras and uh, these clothings with really weird patterns that can throw off facial recognition by breaking up your image. So they look hideous, but they do have the effect of making a camera think they're seeing a giraffe or a dog rather than a person. This brings us back to the problem of what to do if you're already in a facial recognition database. One of the primary data sources that they use is from photos posted online. So if you have a social media account or if you're just in the background of a picture like Charity mentioned, and that's been posted online, it's safe to assume that you're on the grid. And you can't opt out, I'm guessing? Well, the EU and states like California with privacy legislation require you to be able to do it. Yeah, and clearview.ai does have a form you can fill out to get your picture removed, but you need to supply an image of yourself. And again, if you happen to be caught on camera, you go right back to being on their database. Also, I don't like the idea of having to send a picture of myself to get a picture of myself removed. Right. What's the message here? People are just shit out of luck? Scandalous language. I can't help it. It's, it's, a, it's a shit out of luck moment. Well, the message is that it's important for people in government like charity to keep working on greater privacy protections. I mean, you can do a few tricks like the ones we talked about, but it's too big for one person to do alone. Also, Elizabeth Warren, your buddy, uh, is um, trying to pass a digital version of the CFPB, which would protect people, people's privacy specifically. But right now, I think we're kind of shit out of luck. And that's our tinfoil swan. <laughs> What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media. You can find us online at adamlevin.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin.